Hello, everybody. The sun is shining. The fixtures are out. And, of course, Norwich City brought through three players through the door already. Uh, Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes and Jack Stacey. And joining me for the next hour to discuss everything Norwich City in terms of transfers, fixtures is, of course, Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman. Uh, we want your comments and questions. So get them down in the comment section below and, and we'll come around to those later on in the show. But, Sam, I mean, you reacted to the fixtures this morning across our channels. Um, whole City at home on the opening game of the season. The first time Norwich have played at home in the Championship since 2010 when they lost 3-2 to Watford. So it's it's been a while coming. Um, what was your sort of initial reaction when you saw that fixture? Yeah, it's not a blockbuster one, is it? I think from what I've seen of Hull's transfer business so far, it feels like it probably should be a winnable one for a team that is chasing promotion or at least is hoping to do so, which is obviously Norwich's target going into the season. But it's always difficult, really, in the Championship. I think the only thing we can really react to is whether it's home or away. And as you mentioned, it's obviously been a long, long while since they started a campaign in the second tier at Carrow Road. So I think that's positive, especially given how important it is that they start the season well after how last season ended and given the crossroads the club finds itself at at the moment. But um, yeah, as I said, I think the championship is just so variable and from season to season, it's so difficult to predict what teams are going to... Um, to surprise you and which teams are going to be good and quite often the teams that impress at the start of the season will end up even in a relegation battle come the end of it so I think Norwich have to focus on themselves this season really it's probably not the sort of situation where like maybe when they're in the Premier League you can react to the fixtures and you can tell which periods are going to be more difficult and which periods they might be able to extract more points from the situation is really that if Norwich want to be a team in the upper echelons of the championship and to be honest I'm still sceptical but that's certainly where they see themselves and that's certainly their target going into the season um, and if that is where they see themselves they have to see almost every team as the same I know the Southamptons and the Leicesters and the Leeds will certainly present a different challenge but um, I think no matter who that team was that came out of the draw first for Norwich um, it was always going to be a, a similar scenario really unless it was Ipswich which I'm sure will come on to and they were probably the two fixtures that Norwich fans were looking out for but when it came to the opening day I think Hull at home is is pretty much as standard as you can get in the championship and um, yeah probably one to look forward to for fans because they they get to see that first game at home finally after a, a little while but um, yeah shouldn't make too much of a difference for me in terms of Norwich's own um, ambitions and capabilities. Yeah, Sam just referenced the Ipswich games there, Paddy. They're the games that most Norwich fans go and look for, first and foremost. I can imagine you were looking for a certain team in Sky Blue, first and foremost, of course, Coventry City, um, who unfortunately missed out on promotion to the Premier League uh, just a matter of months ago. Um, yeah, I suppose as well, a Midlands game over Christmas for you as well, West Brom away. That's, that's probably a plus as well. Yeah, big plus. Yeah, my wife, uh, this is one of her favourite days of the year because she gets to basically tell me what I'm doing for the next nine months socially around work in inverted commas that we have to do and uh that is good because i uh, uh anybody who's probably got a partner it there's a there's always a the, the christmas who's christmas are we going to be spending it with in terms of in-laws or uh family or whatever and we have a bit of an alternating going on and it's coventry this year don't know why we're going off on this tangent but anyway that it's coventry this year and that means that uh if i'm in coventry on christmas day i'm very i couldn't handpick to west brom away because that's that's a few junctions up the, up the M6 for me on Boxing Day. So, yeah, that's a that's a real big plus um, with our work hats on, less so Plymouth and Swansea, both away in the space of about 10 days in late September. 
uh, as Connor uh, rightly pointed out, the pool car is going to get some serious damage. Um, I hope the, hope the engine's up to it, is all I'm going to say, without amount of mileage. But, uh, yeah, that was good. Commentary, uh, to answer your question, mate, is uh, October the 7th, I think, off the top of my head. So, away, uh, I think, is the first game. So, um, But, yeah, no, that Ipswich game, spoken, I mean, uh, this isn't my house, by the way. I don't have backdrops about historical Norfolk figures. I'm actually in our offices. Um, and I've spoken to quite a few uh, Norwich fans slash work colleagues. And I think they're of the opinion in terms of the Ipswich dynamic, December's probably a good period because it allows, hopefully, Norwich to get up and running and maybe, conversely, Ipswich to just find out it's a little bit tougher than what they were enjoying in League One in terms of the relative momentum or trajectories of the two clubs. Because it felt like, for me, if, it, if that fixture had dropped August, September, you may have feared for the outcome. But whereas now, hopefully, by the time December rolls around and we all head off to Portman Road, um, you know Norwich will be in better shape. And, uh, and that's really... a a massive game to look forward to. And of course, Kieran McKenna, which bosses already t- talked about that and how they'll won't lack for motivation. So, um, yeah, no, bring that one on, but, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm too long in the tooth now. I don't get overly excited by a fixture release day, but it is nice now, both us in the media and more importantly, Norwich fans, they know where they're at now and they know where they're going to be and what it's going to take if, uh, if it is to end in success this coming season. But, um, yeah, there's some long old trips there, isn't there boys? Yeah, Peaky saying those down in the southwest don't mind the the uh, Swansea and Plymouth combo too much. Of course, no major travelling for you guys down that neck of the woods. Um, Sam, just staying on the fixtures finally before we talk transfers. Is it maybe a plus that Norwich play at Switch in December? We've now got kind of a few months to, I suppose, to build up for it in the season. I think a lot of Norwich fans maybe feared that if we got them early on in the season, they're going to be riled up for it a little bit. Norwich trying to gel lots of new players. I mean, has it kind of fell nicely, I suppose, that fixture being when it is? Yeah, a little bit. I think um, there's a feeling that Norwich maybe will be on the back foot no matter what, just because of the momentum in the two sides. But what Paddy says is right, that obviously they've now got four months from the start of the season to sort of level out a little bit and for Norwich's downward momentum to hopefully shift into upward momentum and maybe for Ipswich's certainly very um, positive trajectory to, to maybe slow down a little bit and to hit the buffers of a slightly more difficult championship task. But looking at some of the transfer business they are trying to do, at least, and have done already, it looks like they're very keen to give the championship a real good go. And I think a a lot of people have Ipswich Town down as their sort of dark horses for the season. So, yeah, absolutely. The fact that it's a few months down the line probably um, gives Norwich an advantage. And it's quite an interesting dynamic after a few years without that fixture to to look forward to really because you look at last season and as much as there were signposts and and points you could point to in terms of where things went wrong and what the huge games were they were all contextual in terms of where the championship was at at that moment now Norwich faced the pressure that they haven't faced for a, a few years of a fixture that fans will be looking forward to for months and there'll be pressure on them building up for for weeks and weeks ahead of those fixtures so um, I'm interested to see how Norwich handle it I think as you say the fact that it's in December is probably in their favour and the fact that the other one is in April I think um, at Carrow Road probably means it might be quite a a large fixture for one of the teams at least I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them is in and around the top or bottom end 
of the table come come the latter stage of the season. And it could be that Norwich really do need a, a result against Ipswich when they come to Carrow Road in April. So um, that, for me, is a fixture to look forward to as well. Uh, if they can go into that with that, I don't know how many years it is now, it'll be 15 by then if they manage to avoid defeat in December. If they can go into it with that amount of confidence and that unbeaten streak, then I think they'll probably feel quite confident um, going into that April game. So that's one definitely to look out for, for me. But the pressure is absolutely still on Norwich, no matter what happens between then and now. I mean, unless unless Ipswich end up with sort of 10 points from their first 15 games or whatever it is, um, I, I don't see a scenario where there isn't more pressure on Norwich than there is on Ipswich. So however you frame it and however many months it was from the start of the season, I don't think it was ever going to be easier uh, for Norwich and, and that the pressure was going to come off them. But um, yeah, this definitely gives them a little bit more wiggle room. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased for them in that sense. But, but no matter what happens, I think it'll be a really difficult fixture and I don't think it'll be one of the ones maybe a few years ago where Norwich got used to Ipswich rolling over a little bit because um, I think especially in the Championship, momentum is one of the most important things and the feeling around the club is vitally important when there maybe isn't that much quality to separate out the teams and the feeling around Ipswich right now is miles and miles ahead of the feeling around um, Norwich. So I would I would worry about that a little bit, but at the end of the day, and this will be what probably David Wagner says in his media before that game, two fixtures aren't going to define Norwich's season. They could lose both 5-0 and, and still... There's plenty of points to to compete for, but um, from a a bigger point of view and from getting a fan base back on board that maybe has been a bit disparate from the club in the last couple of years, I think those two fixtures are, are really really important, and it's definitely one that that fans will be looking forward to for the next well six months. Now they've got to look forward to it, so a lot of time for the pressure to build. Yeah, one player who might be involved in those fixtures, Paddy, is uh, Borgia signs from Guys and Spore. Uh, we got the first no circus of the summer from from you the other day regarding him, uh, a 22-year-old Spanish winger, of course, been playing the last season in Turkey. Um, nine goals in 32 games, uh, a left winger. Looks quite an exciting player on YouTube. I mean, that's difficult to, to sort of grasp the nettle in terms of a player from there. We, we've all been there before, but... You've got a little bit of an update on him this morning. Just want to sort of share you, well, where we are in terms of Boyer Shines and Norwich City. Your pronunciations are all over the all over this, aren't you? That's not how I was going to pronounce it, but I'm going to bow to your knowledge, mate. And certainly on the how do you pronounce his team again? I was going to say Joranna Spore, but it's uh, guys and Spore. That's how yeah, I, yeah. I people translate no, no. it before. So there we go. That's 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 what we're going off. Yeah, no, well, well I think we all know we're talking about. And, and the bottom line is, yeah, no, that's the latest we've got is. Um, still progressing in the right direction. Um, there's an expectation that he will, and you listed the first three, he will be their fourth senior signing. Um, and, it, and it feels like it's just moving to its natural conclusion now. Obviously, as we all know, there's complexities in any transfer deal um, from the terms, obviously, in the paperwork and the legal elements and then the, the logistics, almost, of the medicals and then the, the club media that's involved. But Overlaying on top of that, you're dealing, you know, with a, a different territory and a different league and a different part of Europe as well. So, I think there are some maybe added challenges to to just getting deals done when you, you're not dealing with domestic or maybe even leagues in Western Europe. But um, from what we're led to believe, yeah, no, that's uh, that's all on track, and uh, and he will be um, part of David Wagner's, um, you know, championship battle plan. So um, it's 
it's quite exciting, I think, really. I mean, there was, you know, obviously quick out the door and they got some, shall we call them more, more experienced players um, in through the building. And, and, you know, I'm sure there was fans looking at that and maybe taking that at face value, but hoping there was going to be something that was a little bit more at the youthful end of the spectrum, a bit more exciting, a bit more, um, you know, kind of we're not sure what we're going to get. And, and this guy certainly falls into that category. And, um, you know, those numbers are good. But as is, I've seen pointed out, you know, on social media, you could draw a, a pertinent parallel with Mila Rashica, who came from a relegated club uh, with good individual numbers and a good individual pedigree and didn't quite work out. My my immediate counterpoint on that would be, well, Mila Rashica was coming to, to try and improve Norwich in the Premier League. This guy, if it's done and there's no you know 11th hour setback um, to derail it, is coming to improve them in the championship. And that's a vastly different level. So, you know, I, I don't, necessarily have any issues that he was part of a, a team who've gone down um you know Norwich Norwich have a lot of players who've been part of teams who've gone down in the last two two or three uh, seasons as well so yeah uh, more importantly he looks like a player who's going upwards in terms of his career tra- trajectory um I'm interested in and we'll probably get into this if this unfolds and, and goes through as we all expect it to now into sort of why Turkey? Why was Turkey a good move for him? You know, given he's a Spanish player who came through the Spanish system, um, you know that's quite an intriguing move. You don't tend to see that too often, I wouldn't have thought. So there was obviously factors for that, but it's got him. It would seem a move to England, and um, you know, there's no doubt that in that area of the pitch they need to do business. They need to do business. I know there's, you know, there's been inevitably a focus on defensively and and certainly with with the captain Grant Hanley unavailable, it looks like until 2024. Although anybody who maybe watched Donnell Hernandez's latest sort of Cuban baller YouTube video, there was a nice little snippet of of the big man um, already on the grass at Colney doing some individual, well walking it looked like, but but it, it that looked quite positive, but but still a long long way from you know being back in the mix. So while there was a you know inevitably a an early part of the focus was on defensively with with the likes of Duffy and, and obviously Jack Stacey coming in the door. I think we'd all like to hope that they're also now going to maybe look at the attacking areas. Stuart Weber himself said it when he sat down with us at the end of the season that maybe a, maybe a, maybe a, it's not so much have they got the strikers, have they got the players who can create those big chances, you know, and they clearly felt they didn't because Stuart Weber identified that as an issue they need to address players like Science, um, you know, we'll get on to him. A, a certain brilliantly named Brazilian Gustavo Mosquito as well. He would fit into that category, uh, and one or two others. They've been linked. They, they really do need to, you know, supplement what they've got at the top end of the pitch. And obviously, Barnes is part of that equation. But but in terms of the creativity and the link players from deeper line midfield areas to a, a Barnes, a Sergeant, and Adamida, um, and this looks like it's a, it's a positive step in in the right direction. So, um, yeah, as I say, it looks like we're, we're, we're reaching the end game and it'll be a successful conclusion in terms of Borja science, but uh, not quite done yet. Yeah, so 22. So, Ollie Spencer here in the comments saying, we've seen two additions well into their 30s. Boya signs only 22. Is it a conscious decision by the club to have that balance of experience and inexperience? Of course, it's a, a free agent signing Boya sign, Sam, due to the contract situation he's got, uh, the relegation that he suffered there in Turkey. So, I suppose there's not really much sort of risk with it, but potentially a, a high, I suppose, sort of reward on, on the investment that Norwich City are going to make in terms of the wages and that. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that one? Is it a player that excites you? Yeah, definitely. For me, that's been the biggest hole in the team, really, since Emi Buendia left. And I know 
they were very much exposed for the lack of a defensive midfielder in the last couple of seasons. But a big, big problem for me has been where that creativity comes from. And actually, without relying on Windia, that's been a really dry production line for them for a number of years, actually. I remember even back to when he was um, with Norwich and when he was suspended or injured, they looked pretty poor on every one of those occasions. So I think they've been searching for somebody to fill that hole for a good long while now and hopefully science is that man. But I think it's quite difficult to gauge at this stage without really knowing too much about his his style of play. He seems like maybe he's more likely to, to play a through ball than whip a cross in, but from looking at his how his goals were scored last season, obviously he scored um, nine, as you said, and I think three or four of those at least came from sort of high-pressing situations. So I think that might be why David Wagner has taken to him, if he's a player that, that he's been shown, which I'm sure he has, and why maybe they feel he'll fit into this system. But to take that point on sort of experience and the makeup of the squad, Connor did a really good piece a few weeks ago at actually, that showed they really do have a gap between sort of 23 and and 28, shall we say. They've got a lot of really, really young players who have loads of room to progress and a lot of, quite a lot older players now with the likes of Ashley Barnes and um, Shane Duffy signing and obviously Kenny McLean and Grant Hanley and Tim Cruel already in the squad, but they do need to fill the gap with those players in the middle. And I understand they're probably the most expensive players, which is why Sainz is probably such a fantastic pickup on a free. But that's part of what I really, really like about this transfer is that he feels quite a lot like the sort of signing they were making back in. 2017, 2018, when there wasn't a lot of money in the club. They have to, had to be creative with their solutions, but they were finding players who had track records, maybe at a lower level or a, a, in a market that people didn't really look at. But they had track records of producing good numbers and producing good performances um, in their career. And I think that's what Boyer Science looks like, really. Um, quite a lot of similarities to those players, like the sort of Emi Buendia's Mario Vrancic, um, Marco Stevens, who maybe haven't totally found a home yet in their career. And Paddy spoke about why he moved to Turkey. And that, that was sort of a little bit of my concern. But it looks like Alaves, where he was before then, weren't necessarily totally sure that he could fit in into their uh, system and into their team and that he had that quality because he spent his last year there um, out on loan in the Segunda Division, which obviously the second tier of Spanish football, only scored three goals that season. So it looks like he's struggled to really make it click in his career up until this point. But you look at those players that 2018-19 season and why that team was so successful. And they had so many clearly very talented players that just hadn't really clicked into place. Mo Leitner is another one that I didn't mention, but certainly fits into that category. So that's why I really like this signing. And now I think a lot of the emphasis is on David Wagner because Science is clearly a player that's got a lot of talent. He's shown it over the last season. But and the difference between those two leagues, I think a lot of emphasis is on Wagner's capability to extract the best from him 
within his team um, um, the other day how he hasn't really seen an identity from Norwich and that this science recruitment will only work if he can work with the players that they've signed. Actually, Barnes, Adam Eder and Josh Sargent that look like they're geared for a bit more of a direct system. I wonder if he is that right player, but admittedly, I know less. And given their track record with players like that and in the sort of mould that he appears to be, incredibly um, pleased with and praised the signing of Milo Rashica when he came in and that hasn't really worked at all. So it's one of those where we probably have to wait and see how he gets on in yellow and green, but the early signs are definitely promising. Yeah, I can see all the comments flooding in. We'll, we'll get around to as many as we can. But uh, Paddy, there was uh, some reports yesterday that surfaced from Brazil uh, linking Norwich City to two certain players in, in that market. Uh, Gustavo Mosquito, uh, a winger, 131 games for Corinthians, 16 goals, 13 assists, and a, a young right back as well who's making his breakthrough, uh, Nathan from Sao Paulo, which obviously is where Gabriel Sarra's from. So you can imagine there's a link there. I suppose given the relative success, I suppose, of, of Sarra and Nunes last season and the fact we know that Norwich are aiming in that market, you know, Weber spoke about it in his interview with us. You know, that's a market that Norwich City are going to do lots of business in. I suppose, are you surprised to see these rumours surfacing for, from that area? No, not at all, mate. I'd be more surprised if we didn't get any rumours slash um, tangible business from that market this summer because, um, yeah, as you rightly referenced, anybody can go back and look at the comments. I think they're in the piece that we put up in the last day or two about the Brazilian uh, interest. You can see definitively Stuart Webber talking up uh, what a huge market that is for Norwich in terms of a gateway for players from a very, very high level. Um in terms of the, the competitive country they're coming from and, and the football in that country, a gateway to Europe, basically. And they will look um, at a Gabi Zara who's come in, um, not gone quite how it hoped in terms of his team, but he, he's finished the season. Norwich's player of the year. His numbers have attracted some substantial interest, as Weber uh, confirmed to us, from certainly the, the Premier League as well. And, you know, I mean, I've seen in those reports, the, the number that's put on his head now is sort of 20, 25, 30 million pound player. You know, you can debate whether that would be a, a figure Norwich would get if they were willing to cash in. There's no sense that they want to do that this summer. I think Zara himself uh, would make it quite clear he feels he's got unfinished business in green and yellow for the next season or so. But, uh, you know, from from the South American side of that, you're looking at Norwich City as a club and what they've done with Zara to a lesser extent with Nunes. Um why wouldn't you want to explore that? You know, if there are clubs in South America, as we know there are, who financially uh, would would find it quite attractive if if a, if a club like Norwich came to them with, you know, certain proposals. Um, because obviously, you know, in Zara's case, that's San Paulo. You know, would he go on and and make a big money move? San Paulo are getting, you know, as Norwich will find hopefully with Madison this coming summer. You know, there are attendant clauses and sell-ons in these type of deals. So. What I would say on, on the Mosquito one, I think that, um, that there are people in and around him in terms of his representation and his agency who are also connected with Zara. So it isn't just Brazil. It isn't just the Sao Paulo link. There are actually, if you look at the two players, representatives um, who are the same. So it, all the links feed into who Norwich are dealing with. Could they get these deals done? Well, the answer is very much yes, they could. Um on Mosquito, it is worth you know clarifying he is injured. He ruptured his knee ligaments, I think, in October, November. The Brazilian domestic season runs April to December. So he's currently on the sidelines. He's expected to be back in, in play or training from July onwards. Um, 
And it's also worth reiterating that, of course, Gabby Zara arrived still rehabbing from an, I think it was an ankle injury he had. So, you know, that wouldn't preclude the deal. Um, but that is a little bit of a question mark, I guess, in terms of would he be ready to hit the ground running in terms of the championship season? Contractually with him, point also worth making. Um, I think if reports are to be believed, he's out of contract at the end of this calendar year uh, and a little bit like Norwich found with the likes of Pookie and Cantwell and so on, six months out, he can he can sign a pre-contract. So from next month again onwards, supposedly he, he would be available to sign a pre-contract. That makes sense, I guess, financially, whether that might mean a, a January-type arrival, if, if, if that's where Norwich were thinking, or as they did with Kenny McLean that time, they pay a little nominal fee and they can get him in earlier. So, but that's all hypothetical. You know, there's there's nothing we're led to believe at this stage um, beyond what's been reported that that, that him and Nathan San Paolo, young right back, twenty year old, he was on the bench for them last night. Uh, they played, I think they beat Paranese two one in the Brazilian Championship. But he was an unused substitute. I don't think he's the front line option for San Paolo, um, but he's certainly in and around it. Um, and both of those, quite rightly, would would be because we know Norwich have got the structure in place. Now they've got two full-time scouts in South America. Um, they would be players of interest, I think it's safe to say, at this stage. But um, nothing beyond that at this stage. But to go back to what I said with Mosquito particularly, because we were just talking there about science, and he's another similar right-sided player, but can play anywhere along the front three. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of elements to that that would make sense and would, would make you think he is a player who Norwich would be interested in and um you know that is gef- definitely one to watch i think him and, and maybe to a lesser extent nathan but 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 you know norwich going into south america no shock is it because um you know weber said they were going to do that again um, and why wouldn't they because as i say zara looks a tremendous piece of business both in terms of his impact on the pitch but also his and the financials are important for norwich with their model for the resale element to that and nunez i think we all feel Although it was a bit hit and miss um, from his debut season, but but certainly when he was on it, um, the quality there isn't in doubt. And I think we'll probably see him kick on. And I'm hoping we see a, a Vrancic, Steeperman style uplift that the first season in England, difficult, had to adapt, had to learn what it was all about. And then we really saw them take off. I'd like to think Nunes will be in the same bracket. Uh, and it's worth reiterating with him. You know, he's coming off pretty much 12 months unbroken calendar of, of football, both for clubs and country because of the nature of when he arrived in the middle of the Chilean season. I think the fact that he's got a break this summer, I know he has played for his country, but the fact he'll get a bit of a break, that's got to be a factor as well. So, yeah, bit of a long-winded answer, Adam, but but there's no doubt those two players are players who will be on Norwich's radar. And um, for many reasons, you know, those deals are deals that could get done, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, just staying on the theme of wingers, there's been a few sort of rumours surfacing around a few different players. Uh, Jay Sadler asking about Nathan Redmond. Uh, we can definitely quash that one. That's not a, a player that Norwich City are going to be signing this window. Uh, there was one about Mavidi as well um, and him being shown around the training ground. We don't believe that one to be true. So that's not a, a player that Norwich City are interested in. But uh, Paddy, just coming back to you. Yeah, there's another player you, you sort of spoke about, Ryan Fraser. I think you got an update on him and, and the situation there as well. Yeah, I was actually just going to jump in, uh, Adam, because we can. Yeah, well, Fraser um, led to believe that's that's not going to happen. Uh, his wages are way out of the orbit of of what would would feasibly be a be within Norwich's ballpark. Um, I know, obviously, that you know if it was a lone star move and and the precedent was there with Newcastle and Hayden that that it wouldn't be taking on his complete wages. But even so, um, 
you know, the figure that I was told that he is on uh, currently at Newcastle. I, I don't see it. I don't see how anyway financially that deal makes sense. So I think you can put a line through that. Also, Chidezi Ogbeni, I've uh, had a bit of an update on him in the last day or two, who is a Rotherham player, plays nominally on the right-hand side of a front three, but can again play all along the front line. Republic of Ireland international, uh, missed their recent internationals. Actually, I think he picked up a knee injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he sat those out. But another player who at the front end of the pitch has been linked with Norwich this summer. There was interest from what I'm led to believe, and the way it was told to me from the Ogbeni end was that it was quite strong interest at the start of the summer from Norwich, but that they decided to maybe go in a slightly different direction. And of course, if we're looking at the jigsaw, they're now seemingly going to bring science in. They're getting linked with Mosquito. Um, you know, maybe that they've decided there's other players who fit their profile better of what they're looking at the top end of the pitch. But he was one they were very keen on and there was overtures from Norwich in that direction. But that trail has ended as well. So, um, yeah, I think you can put lines through him and Fraser, basically. Yeah, Tom Ince as well. Looks like he's heading to Watford, so we can uh, quash that one as well. And it looks like Max Johnston, he's another player who won't unfortunately be coming to Carrow Road. Lots of other interest around him. And unfortunately, Norwich look like they've been priced out. Um, Sam, just sort of now talking about players who are already on the books at Norwich City who potentially could be heading for the exit door this summer. Uh, Max Aarons is where I want to start. Um, there was a link. I believe from the Telegraph, wasn't it, um, that Max Aarons had been linked to Fulham for, for £10 million. Um, an England international, of course. I think he plays this afternoon, doesn't he, for England under-21s. Um, a player who Stuart Webber openly said Norwich uh, are willing to sell this summer to, I suppose, generate some cash, but also for Max Aarons to go and, I suppose, push on a little bit. You know, he's sort of stagnated a little bit at Norwich recently. Um, I suppose, one, do you expect sort of Fulham to be the destination where Max Aarons will be heading, or, or do you think other teams will come in later on in the window? I think it's hard to gauge without knowing too much from the, the Fulham end, but I'd be surprised if there was much interest from Highland there. I don't think Aaron's has the same value or reputation in the game that maybe he enjoyed two or three years ago. Um, so I think Fulham would actually be a good move for him at this stage. It seems like that would be originally at least to provide competition for Tete because he's been fantastic for Fulham last season. So that might be where Aaron's looks at it and maybe would consider another option where he's more likely to be a first-choice starter. But I think Norwich's business so far and the amount of interest they've shown in, in those different players um, does suggest that they're expecting Aaron's to move on. I know they've been very open about the fact that they're comfortable with him moving on, but being okay with the player moving on and wanting to generate funds from that is very different to so actually having the interest and uh, and being able to deliver on that move. But the fact that they seem to be tracking Nathan, they've obviously already got Jack Stacey in the building. They would have done Mac John Max Johnston if they could. And Kellen Fisher, although he's obviously a much younger prospect, does go into that fullback department as well as Bally, Bally Mumba coming back from Plymouth Argyle. And it's just feels like that's so many names that I'd be surprised if they think there's a, a realistic chance that Max Aaron stays, whether they want him to or not, and whether he wants to stay there or not. So, um, yeah, I think it seems likely now that he does go out the door. And if I were him, probably Fulham would seem a pretty decent prospect to me. But the fact that they've got players in that position maybe means that he might look elsewhere. But I'm not sure there's been too much concrete interest. I'm sure the same familiar names will be 
chopped up around his his name again. And I think Roma have seen already linked with him this summer, but it seems more realistic to me that he goes to a sort of bottom end to mid table Premier League club, which is what Fulham are at the moment. And with how they're run at the moment, how their squad is, how good of a manager Marco Silva is, I think that would actually be quite good for them and also quite good for Norwich. I think the openness that they've shown about their willingness to let Max Aarons go this summer probably shows you quite how much of a boost they feel that money could be to their their summer transfer window. Obviously, everything they've done so far, including Sainth, has been free and, and will be free if they get that move in. And I think getting Aaron sold or maybe even Andrew Omabamadele, who they've also been fairly open about the prospect of selling, would allow them to, to look at players that maybe they can't quite do right now. Obviously, they can't quite afford to take those risks that maybe other clubs could because if they do spend that money in advance of, of Aaron's and Omabamadele going and then they don't manage to recoup it with the financial situation they already find themselves in, that could really, really deepen and worsen their problems. So I think it would be a relief for the club and probably for Aaron's as well if that move does get over the, over the line quite soon. And I think that would be quite a, a good one for him. So that does seem to make sense, but there's been a number of times over the last couple of years and, and let's face it, they've been the most open about their willingness to sell Max Aaron's this summer. But I think if the right offer came in, probably for a couple of years, actually, they've been ready to let him go in the right scenario. And we've seen these clubs come up and it's never really become anything incredibly tangible, certainly nothing realistic from how much Norwich would want um, fee-wise. But the £10 million figure being chucked around, I think for a player in the last year of his contract, who's probably stagnated over the last couple of years, I don't think Norwich could really complain about that fee. That seems fairly realistic um, for me. And they'll want as much of that up front as possible and that's been one of the the main problems with the Milo Rashica situation is that Galatasaray want to do that in in several installments so I think probably for Norwich the structure of the deal would be important but if it is as simple as it seems on the on the face of it I don't see any reason why that that deal couldn't happen unless Fulham do sign do find a better option and I think if you're looking for a homegrown player who's played as many games as Max Aarons has I don't think you're getting a much de- a much better deal than, than £10 million for a 23-year-old who's regularly featured for the England under-21s for a number of years. So, um, yeah, that's one I can definitely see feasibly happening, but doesn't seem like it's too far down the track um, right now. Yeah, before we sort of delve into the comments, Pad, just want to focus in a little bit on Andrew Omabama Daly. Uh, 51 appearances for Norwich City, two goals. Uh, obviously, we know there was interest in January. There was a bid that Stuart Webber spoke about that Norwich City turned down for more money than they sold Ben Godfrey for. So you're probably looking in the region of sort of 20, 20 million upwards, uh, sort of 25 million. So links to Crystal Palace, links to AC Milan. Um, what sort of destination do you think Andrew Omabama Daly is going to end up at, Pad? Do you think it'll be abroad or do you think a sort of Premier League club is going to be the route he goes down? It's, that's an interesting one because by all accounts, the, the, the interest in January was from an overseas club. Um, but the, the relevant parties didn't feel that was right and, and that got parked. But I think there is a, a sense that there, w- there will be something tangible happen this summer round on the Palace one. It, as always with these things, you know, there's so many links in the chain for, for, for something to come off with Palace. It would seem from the outside looking in that that will 
hinge on a Mark Wahey, who's there, a very highly rated England centre-back, who's, I'm seeing, 50, 55, 60 million pound target for Tottenham. So, you know, clearly, if you're Palace, um, your succession planning in that respect uh, and future-proofing, and then you're looking around at other young, highly rated centre-backs who, who fit a certain profile, and, and Omar Bamadeli, it would feel is on that list, but it but it isn't a list of one. I've seen numerous other centre-backs, both in East, this country and abroad, getting linked with Palace in a similar vein, should Gwehi depart, which which seems likely. So, I don't think that one, again, a little bit like the Aarons and Fulham link, that feels more like feelers and uh, they're looking for X. So, let's look for some players who fit that category and then throw them in, um, you know, would Palace be aware of Andrew Omobamadeli? Of course they would. You know, Leicester have been linked with him previously. Forrest as well. Um, you know, that type of player in the position and the pitch he plays with the potential he's got, uh, already a full international, um, just had his career stalled a little bit with the injuries that he's had. But once he gets past that and is playing regularly, um, I think when we've seen him at his best, albeit in a very abbreviated Caro Road career, he looks like a Rolls Well, just popped into my head. That not that what Ben Gibson referred to him as a Rolls-Royce of a player? I think when they were on tour last summer, one of the tour diaries, you know, that that is how he's viewed. And you can see why, because a fully fit, firing Andrew Omobama daily um, with the right players around him, because I think that's worth stressing. He's still very inexperienced. You talked about 50-odd games, but, you know, he's looked far more assured when he's had a, a Grant Hanley alongside him in, in the very early part of his career than he did when he was maybe the one who had to lead it um, at periods of the, the second half of this past season when there was no Hanley, no Gibson. And, you know, he's trying to coax Jacob Sorensen through, for example. And we all saw that that didn't quite fit. Um, so I think in a in a team set up to get the best out of him with the right experience around him, then that is a player who the sky is the limit, really. And, and if you're a Palace or another Premier League type club or even clubs abroad, you know, as I say the Italian sort of links that have been to him already, you'd look at that and you'd look at the the profile and you'd think we can get hold of this guy and we can mould him into something. Um, and that's why he's, you know, in already uh, the 20, 25 million bracket of player. And, um, you know, it was quite a ballsy move, wasn't it, from from Stuart Webber primarily in January to, to, to reject um, an offer or an inquiry in that ballpark. Now, you can understand why because David Vargas just just come in the building. Norwich still clearly had firm aspirations to get into the mix, uh, ideally still automatic, but if not, top six. And what signal would that have sent to, to your fan base primarily, but also the dressing room? If you're saying, sorry, we can't turn down this money in January, Andrew, on you go. Uh, and, and then potentially, obviously, it, it turned sour anyway, but, but, but if it had turned sour off the back of that, then you can be sure the criticism would have been pretty stinging, albeit it was fairly stinging in Stuart's direction towards the end of last season anyway. But you can understand why not held on and held firm. Um, but nevertheless, that must have prompted a conversation or two at the highest echelons of the football club because, again, we, as we always stress, for a self-funded club to have a firm offer on the table in the 20-25 million bracket, that has to show a lot of resolve to have decided against accepting it. But and also from the player's point of view as well, he will have been fully aware of what was going on in January. And I'm sure, you know, while there wouldn't be any question about his professionalism or his commitment to Norwich, but he's a young player who, who I'm sure wants to be playing at the highest level he can play. And and if there is firm Premier League interest this summer, um, 
you know, I, I think that's a deal that could get done to to the to the betterment of all parties, much like with Max Aarons and whoever, if it's a Premier League club. I think it, it would be a blow in terms of Norwich, but you know, I'm sure again, much like Palace, uh, you can be sure Norwich would have Plan B, Plan C, Plan D. Uh, and Sam's point is 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 right. You know, everything to this point and signs falls into that category is Norwich essentially doing business that doesn't require a financial outlay that would be required with transfer fees. Whereas maybe towards the end of this window, the end part of the summer, if you're furnished with, we'll say, Omabama Daily transfer fees, Max Aarons, Mila Rashica, Galatasaray, that goes through. And of course, a Madison sell-on uplift, then you do have the fighting fund to go and and and, and raise your sights in terms of the, the calibre of play you can go and attract and compete for financially. So, you know, so many moving parts, as always with these things. But, you know, my mind does go back to what Stuart said in that round of post-media, uh, post-season media, that they wanted the bulk of their business done before they probably departed for Germany, which is the middle of July and, and the first pre-season training camp. So if that is the case, then it's going to be quite a hectic period between now and then, really, because that would suggest, timelines can slip, of course, things can change, but but that would suggest that after that point, they're only looking really in, in the one or two deal category. But of course, you know, they might have a plan, but, uh, you know, if a club comes in, late in the window and, and does offer on money they can't turn down, then, of course, they have to react and they have to be flexible in their approach. But uh, will Andrew, Mabamadeli and Max Aarons be Norwich players? If you were to put me on the spot at the start of the season, I'd say one maybe. I could see one already getting done by then. But if you were then to ask me, are they still Norwich players by the end of the summer transfer window, i.e. with the season already underway? I'd say probably not, if I'm honest. Probably not. Yeah, we'll delve into the comments now. Lots of them flooding through. Um, Sam, Tom here on Facebook saying, well, he sort of spoke there about Andrew Obama Daly. Does he justify the money being talked about? Uh, wouldn't he be good to play alongside Gibson or Duffy who who aren't blessed with pace? I mean, we'd imagine Norwich probably will delve into the market for a, another central defender before the window shuts. Um, so what, what's your what's your take on that one? Is Andrew Obama Daly a, a £25 million player? To be honest, I'm not sure he is right now. I think... He's got to show a little bit more consistency, really. But then it also comes down a little bit to what you can really get for £20 million, um these days. And I think for someone his age, I can understand why there's so much hype and so much attached to what he could achieve in the future. His ceiling looks to be incredibly high. And Actually, in the, the limited game time he saw in the Premier League before, obviously, injury wiped him out for the majority of, of that campaign um, two seasons ago. I remember watching him against Arsenal and I thought he was absolutely impeccable. And there have been a few games, actually, where I've I've really thought he's looked like the best player on the pitch. But he doesn't produce that level even once in, in five games, I would say. Um, and what separates the best players for me is being able to produce that on a on a consistent basis. You know, we talked about Marcelino Nunez earlier and if he could have produced what he did in probably three or four games last season, even 20 times, then Norwich might even have got into the playoffs. Um, and and having those players that you can rely upon, for me, is, is such a major factor and I'm not sure a buying club could depend on Omobamadele to have an especially good season. Um Next season, I think 15 million would probably be a fair 
estimate, but given the amount of and a, and a lot of transfer fees, especially around British and Irish players at British and Irish clubs, is to do with the amount of hype around them and the reputation that they've already forged for themselves in the game. And the reality is that Norwich and Amabamadele himself have done well to create a lot of that situation. The, the clubs that have been linked, obviously AC Milan, Champions League semi-finalists and a, a huge, huge European club, I think that helps Norwich no end, to be honest. And I, I don't mean to be disparaging about Amabamadele's ability whatsoever. I think he's a fantastic footballer and probably the most promising in Norwich's squad at the moment. But this isn't an especially Norwich, an especially promising Norwich squad compared to some of the impressive youth they've had previously. And um, I think a, a fee between 20 and £25 million pounds for him at this stage would work very well for them indeed. And I could be eating my words and it could be that he ends up being an £80 million pound player in four or five years, but I don't think he's close to that at present. I think a club that's buying him is buying perhaps a diamond, but a very, very rough one at the moment. I don't think he's polished to the extent that maybe even a Ben Godfrey was when he left for Everton a few years ago. Um, but again, I come back to my point of how much you can really expect for that fee. And for a homegrown player who is in a position that's expensive and difficult to recruit for and has the characteristics that suit the modern game, um, you're not getting many better options unless you've got an incredible sort of scouting department. I think unless you're looking at the Brightons and Brentfords who managed to pick out these sorts of fantastic players for five or six million from obscure leagues, I don't think there are many clubs that could look at the obvious options and find a better one than the norm of Amadele. So I don't think it's too far off his value, but I also don't think Norwich are even close to being um, compromised by this deal or, or being or underselling him. I think they've done well if they do manage to, to sell him for that sort of fee and they'll hope that, or I'm sure Norwich fans will hope that there's a lot of sell-on clause and, and additional bonuses that they might be able to get from that in future. But you look at the, the track record of the players they've sold for the most money and unfortunately they haven't really blossomed. So Stuart Webber does have a, a history of extracting the maximum possible value and, and selling players at the right times when maybe they aren't quite at the level that the buying club or that the footballing world thinks they are. You look at Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey, who by all accounts Everton are considering moving on this summer, Emi Buendia even, who I've I've given praise on countless Pinkham podcasts and, and on our content, but hasn't really kicked on as a sort of £40 million player yet, I wouldn't suggest. And it, I think Norwich could well continue that track record of, of selling players at the right time for the right fees um, with Amabamadele. And they've not always got that right. They didn't sell Campwell when his his value was high and they sold him for a pretty much a nominal fee to Rangers with his contract winding down. And I'm sure they could have got more for Max Ahrens at a different point as well. But they generally have got these things right. And I think Amabamadele um, falls into that category if they do sell him for the, the numbers being talked about at present. Yeah, lots of questions on the midfield, Paddy. Uh, Jeffman, 98. Any defensive midfielder links yet? Are we going to go into the loan market for that? And Will Grant, is saying, can you see Norwich going into the season with any more central midfielders? Or do you feel Norwich are content with Kenny, Sarah, Gibbs, Nunes and Sorensen? So, yeah, what's your take on that, Pad? It certainly feels like defensive midfield's an area where they probably haven't really got a replacement, well, since Skip, Teddy, those kind of players. So, is that an area you I think, you know, suppose Norwich will target this summer? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. From the outside, you would think they would have to, for the reason that the, the two posts there have broken it down, that they don't look like they have. And, of course, when we talk about DMs, well, I do anyway, you've always got two words, and his name's Ollie Skip as your benchmark, uh, and that's probably a very high bar. But in ter- terms of the profile of dropping somebody into that area of the pitch, specialist who plays the role, knows what they're doing, um, knows how to connect the dots, um, and every other player that's come in after that point, or players who were here who've tried to do that role, it's not really worked. And and in the modern game, such a critical area of the pitch as well to to retain that control, both in terms of defensively, but also with the ability to trigger to to get you through the lines and and um, and break the play. So I don't rec- unless you boys want to sort of correct me. I don't see. I can't think there's been too many in the DM pure DM category linked to them this summer. Now. That might just mean that they're, they're doing very well to keep things under the radar or, or maybe that they just don't feel, certainly in their list of priorities, that that's kind of near the top at the moment. Um, you know, what does pop into my head is when Gabi Zara did a little bit of media, I think it was at ESPN Brazil at the end of the season, and he was talking about how he was actually quite enjoying this almost redeployment from from coming into the club as an eight or a ten, more, more prog- progressive type of midfielder and and. I mean, we've all seen what he can do in the final third. Um, wonderfully talented, gifted footballer. But but he was almost trying to embrace now the six role, if you want to put a number on it, in terms of the shirt and the area of the pitch. And, you know, do do does Wagner, do Norwich more broadly see him as a six for this coming season? If so, then, you know, in terms of head counts, you've got Kenny McLean, who I think is your staple go-to in terms of that debate. Is Zara earmarked to play alongside him? And then, whether it's Nunes or, or a Gibbs, maybe, who's also in that equation in terms of the six, or the players that they subsequently bring in for the rest of this summer, who they look at in terms of ticking the more progressive advanced midfielders. Um, it's quite a fascinating thing to observe at the minute, but I, I think the way they're going to go is probably Zara will play or at least start the season in a more deeper line role because it, it would seem strange to have tried him in that area. Um, certainly the post-Millwall run and of course, you know there was there was injury issues, and maybe they were forced a little bit if you're David Wagner to do that. But to to go down that route and then basically redeploy him into a, a slight, a, a very different midfield role from for, from next season onwards. So, you know, if it was McLean, if it was Zara, and you've got Liam Gibbs who can also play there as well, and of course Sorensen, um, do you look at it and go, well, there's four DMs there potentially uh, who can play that role? Me personally, no, I'd I'd, I'd I think I'd like them to go and try and source, uh, whether it's via the loan route or, or, or an astute piece of business, uh, an Ollie Skip type player, not an Ollie Skip. You know, we live in, we don't live in fantasy land, do we, unfortunately? But uh, because then I think, A, for me, that would release Sarah to do more damage where I think he can be more effective in and around the opposition penalty area. Likewise, Gibbs, I think he's more naturally a player the other side of the halfway line than, than more back towards his own goal. Uh, and then you'd have McLean and you'd have Sorensen and a another to, to sort of do that very specialist, um, very circumspect screening role. Um, but you know, time may tell that, that, that they 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 feel that they've already got those elements in the building. But um, you know, it does feel in the last two or three seasons, probably since Skip's departure, that we keep coming round and round, and it gets more exposed, I suppose, in the Premier League and the Championship where exponentially that is that is 
an absolutely pivotal role in the Premier League football, um, but they don't have that in the squad. And uh, and as a result, it's a, it's a gap for me. I'd like them personally to, to to plug, but you know, it's not down to what we think or, or fan, the fans think. It's really ultimately what David Wagner and Stuart Webber think. And if they feel they're well stocked in that area, then it, it that won't be that won't be something we'll see in terms of additions. But um, you know, time will tell. But but. Yeah, my sense on it is that, to answer the question directly, I, I don't think they're actively prioritising a DM in terms of going out and bringing one in. Yeah, Jonathan Parker saying, if we don't bring in a CDM, it will be criminal um, matters. Gibbs, McLean, Sarah as a free midfield will potentially have balance, but I feel you need a player who sits in front with defensive ability, but also have turnover ability. Um, a winger I forgot earlier, Georgie Rusev from Bulgaria. Uh, there was a link, wasn't it, linked him to Norwich, Ipswich and Watford. I mean, given the amount of teams there he's been linked with, probably seems unlikely, particularly given that Norwich have then gone on to look like they're going to type deals for the likes of signs. Um, just talking on outgoings here, Finley uh, is Dimi leaving? Sam, I mean, there's been a few sort of reports around Dimi Yanoulis and, and his future at Norwich City. Um, I think is it 12 months left on his contract as well? I think I'm right in saying so. Is that one you potentially see departing out, out of the window? I mean, you've got obviously Sam McCallum in the ranks, Barley Mumba. We've already spoke about kind of the right backs they've been bringing in. So, is he a player you could see, you know, departing Carrode uh, this summer? It's probably one I could see. I think the the noises we've heard and and how it's been suggested to us is that he wouldn't be i don't think he'd be heartbroken to stay i'd be surprised if he's one that's actively pushing to find a move this summer but we don't know the sorts of deals that he's been offered obviously there were those links um earlier in the summer with those two moscow clubs but given how long has elapsed since those links originally came up um with little sign of of progression I'm not sure how viable they look now but he is probably a player that retains a few million value wise I'm not sure you're getting up anywhere close to the sorts of fees involved for Omar but they might get three or four million for him which given quite how tight finances are in the championship and with Norwich more specifically could do them a lot in the transfer market especially if they're as clever as they have been um, at times since Stuart Webber's arrival. But I do question whether there'll be that much interest. I'm not sure even at championship level he's done enough to suggest that he's definitely good enough for a, a top tier, sort of top five league team. I think the Russian links probably make sense in terms of as a level uh, and those sort of secondary leagues. I'm thinking about Turkey, maybe Greece, Portugal, those sorts of leagues I think there were also links actually with with him going back to Greece so that's the sort of place I see him going if it does happen and I think it's an area where Norwich probably could afford to do business given how much Ballymumba covered on the left for Plymouth last season and Sam McCallum while he struggled with injury has has shown himself to be a pretty decent championship operator at least even if he's not maybe Premier League level I think they could rely on him to be solid and capable next season um, and I don't think fullbacks are especially difficult to recruit for so I think as a a player to replace I don't think he'd be too hard to do that with so it, for me it definitely feels possible but again it just comes down to the amount of interest that there would be in him and there are a number of players in this Norwich squad really where you're just not sure whether they'd shift them and it's it's no coincidence Norwich aren't in the minority or on their own in 
signing the number of free agents that they have, that's going up in football and that that is a trend that I think is going to increase because the gap between clubs like Norwich and clubs in second divisions and abroad is to the Premier League is getting bigger and bigger and clubs can't afford sorts of sort of large fees. So as much as Norwich would like to raise some funds, I think across the board it's safe to say that they haven't got too many where the sorts of clubs interested will be able to pay enough for it to be worth Norwich's while. I think Yanulis is just about one of those players, but I'm not sure there's going to be loads of interest from clubs who really have the, the finances to to do that and to give Norwich big chunks as well. We've obviously, I referenced that Rashica situation and it could be a similar situation with the sort of size of club that could be coming in for Yanulis this summer. So I think it's a complicated one, but I wouldn't completely rule it out, especially given that contractual situation you obviously referenced. Yeah, Jonathan Harrison on YouTube saying, when do the players report back for pre-season? I think it's the 26th next Monday, isn't it, Paddy, if I'm right in saying? The pace being talked to you there. Uh, our, our columnist, Ian Clark, fre- friend of the pink and hello, mate. Yeah, that's that, that, sorry. Uh, that was the reason there. Probably asking me about the fixtures. Uh, yeah, that's Monday, isn't it? Monday coming. Yeah, I think um, they're in for a couple of days of testing and then uh, non-international contingent. I thought it was interesting. Alameda, who's only just finished really his season earlier in the week. Good to see him get off the mark for his country, scoring for the Republic against Gibraltar. But he said afterwards in his post-match, he's basically got 10 days off. So that's probably back in the building, I'm going to say, probably just before the Kings Lynn type friendly. So, um, yeah. So, so really, yeah. It's interesting, actually. I've noticed that uh, I think West Brom, I think Watford, their players are already back. This week uh, and already down down to business. I think on, I think touched on Grant Hanley earlier. I think Onel's back in doing a bit of work on his knee, isn't he? So, you know, they're probably. I think I've seen on their social accounts on Obama Daily. Uh, another one I've seen him. Uh, you know, suggesting he's been at Colney. So, I guess I guess they and they, as we know nowadays the modern professional um, they have to continually tick over, don't they, through the off season? But but in terms of when are they formally the non international players back? Uh, yeah, next week. Yeah, a couple more questions before we round off. Uh, Aidan Thompson on Facebook. Prediction for the season's lad. I mean, Sam, it's difficult at this stage of the season given we don't really know what each team's sort of, you know, squad's going to look like uh, at this current stage. But I suppose what, what's your inkling? How do you feel Norwich City are going to do in the Championship next season? I'll be honest, I really didn't think it would come this early. Uh, mid-table again for me. I think with their squad, they've made some decent additions. But when you look at the players they've lost... I'm not sure so far. It looks like they're really going to improve on their squad. Um, yeah, I would say 15th at present. That's quite pessimistic. It's not really a, a very exciting prediction. But um, the the factors for me as yet in play, the, play, the teams coming down and up are really, really good. And I'm not sure I see Norwich in that mix at present, unfortunately. What about you, Lon? Would you agree with that, Pad? No, no, come on. Oh, oh, the sun is shining. It was shining in your garden until your wife I gave up earlier. Yeah. But uh, we've got to be optimistic now, haven't we? Surely 15th is. But uh, I was going to, oh, no, I thought I was going to be overly pessimistic. I thought if I was going to do a spread range, I'd say six to 10 in terms of league position. I, I just don't see this as it stands here, as we sat here recording today. The squad that finished the season, the additions that we've got so far confirmed, um, I don't. That, to me, doesn't nudge them up into a top six conversation, I'm afraid. Allied to what Sam rightly says, the three have come down uh, and even the three have come up from League One in terms of their potential to kick on again, maybe Plymouth to a lesser extent. But 
you know, it is interesting. Since the fixtures have dropped this morning, I've had more than one uh, betting company uh, darken my door with, you know, their PR emails about the the, the, the championship odds, and um, and one of them had Norwich fifth favourite in the, to win the, to to win the title. So, you know, whether the whether that's more the historical kind of uh, pull of Norwich in the championship recently, uh, rather than actually if you dig under the surface a little bit, because uh, for me, I, I wouldn't put them down as fifth best side in the division uh, at the moment. I mean, the, the three have come down and, and obviously Russell Martin now taking over at Southampton. Leicester have got new management um, and Leeds could have another former manager who we know very well if, if the reports would be believed with Daniel. So, you know, you can't look past those three really. And then, you know, Middlesbrough, although they fell short in the playoffs under Michael Carrick, they look to have got things moving. Um, very, very difficult for me, really, at this stage. Might be different if, if you ask me again at the end of the summer and we see what the, the rest of the transfer business looks like in and out. Um, but I'd go six to ten. What about you, Mr. Harvey? Yeah, I feel like the sort of first five or six games will be quite a good gauge of where Norwich City will be, given on paper they look relatively favourable, maybe rather than Southampton, maybe take that one out of there. But um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be what go one of either way for me. It's either going to be a, a probably a potential playoff season or or one that ends more where Sam's talking in sort of the, the lower echelons of mid table. I, I can't really see anywhere between that. But um, yeah, optimistic. So I'll, I'll go with six and, and sneak in the playoffs. It, it can be done. I mean, if Coventry can get in there, Norwich can get in there. So um, yeah, I think your Wi Fi needs to drop out now, mate. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that one. Uh, one more question here as well. Uh, of course, we've got the cup draw for the Carabao Cup first round to come up. Um, fingers crossed for a home tie and not Exeter away. But uh, who do you guys want to get in the cup draw at 2 30? Uh, Sam, I'll come to you first. Uh, Northampton in it. If so, Northampton, I can pay my parents a visit. What about you, Pad? Uh, how many? Because they're in. The, it's not seeded, but they're in the southern regionalised draw. I think there's about thirty odd teams in there. Because Connor's sent me the list of all thirty teams uh, earlier today, and I just replied, "Home v anyone." So yeah, basically, a nice home game is all I'm looking for. If it if it's a, a Plymouth in this southern section, yep. yeah. Oh no, if it's Plymouth away, then um, there could be tears in the David House uh, very shortly. So uh, yeah, anybody at home. Me, yeah, yeah, I think as long as they avoid yeah, the Exeters, Plymouth, Swansea's, Cardiff, Newports of the Worlds away from home, then uh, I think we'll be relatively happy. Uh, I think my choice would be somewhere like Stevenage or, or Northampton away, relatively local, um, new grounds for me as well. So that's probably where I'm hoping it will pitch up. Probably not an East Anglian derby. We don't really want that um, added on top. Um, I think that'll probably do us for, for this. We've been going for around about an hour. As we just said, the cup draw is at 2.30, so we'll be all over that. Um, so keep your eyes Locked on the pink and channels at 2.30 to hear who Norwich City are going to be facing in the Carabao Cup first round. Um, gents, thanks for joining me. Um, of course, a couple of weeks till pre-season kicks off at, at Barnet, uh, 4th of July, Tuesday night game. Um, hopefully Norwich City will have a few more players through the door by then. It, it looks like signs is one that's getting closer and closer. So um, thanks for joining us this lunchtime. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your summer before Norwich City get back. And uh, we'll join you, I'm sure, very shortly um, in the future for another one of these window watches.